Well, hi, this is Mark Corona. Welcome to another edition of the Practical CMO. Today's program I've titled very simply, Get Moving. And maybe these are the two most important words you're going to need to know to manage your business out of the health crisis. Now, there's plenty of free advice on how and what to do to manage your business through and out of the health crisis. Some of it's getting recycled pretty regularly and it's starting to seem stale. I recently met Kyle Arneson when we participated in an expert roundtable, and I found Kyle's guidance incredibly fresh and empowering. Building on his U.S. Marine Corps background, Kyle attacks challenges just like you'd expect from a tenacious Marine. Kyle's focus certainly encompasses best practices in planning and execution, but his focus is on business leadership. In fact, just how well leadership sets the pace. Now, when times are tough, the best business leaders run toward the challenge. Most won't even use the word challenge to describe their current situation. They call it a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Does that surprise you? I was taken aback when Kyle chimed in on our expert roundtable and basically brought in a level of positivity I'd not heard anybody articulate. And with confidence in a plan, Kyle is absolutely convinced companies can emerge strong from the crisis. They might even be able to accelerate past their competitors and establish a footprint in the post-COVID economy, which is even larger than the one they held before the crisis emerged. The approach Kyle shared was so unique and empowering that it was natural that he come in as a guest on this show and share his thinking with us. Let's get into it. Welcome, Kyle. Let's get started by having you share your background with the audience. Well, thanks, Mark. Uh, really appreciate the opportunity to show up on a great podcast where it seems like you're certainly impacting a lot of folks and you know, giving that nugget of a little different way of thinking. So I appreciate that. Thanks. Yeah, just kind of in a nutshell, Kyle Arneson, and I actually reside in the Midwest here as well now. And as you mentioned, was United States Marine Corps. I was in aviation, eight years in a fighter squadron and uh, some great stories there. But uh, my family had a military background all the way to the back to the uh, Civil War when my great-grandfather jumped in the Union Army and came back, and we've got a long lineage in every other conflict. So, you know, we're a family of service, and we're also a family of entrepreneurs, if you will, serial entrepreneurs, if you will, as well, whether that was in agribusiness or any other companies. So I've got a long history of family businesses, and then knew I wanted to be a commodities trader, like a lot of my family had been by proxy as they were planting corn and soybeans here in the state of Wisconsin. And after the Marines, finished business school at Madison, but looked around and said, hey, I Still hate winter. Actually end up building a book of business at Lehman Brothers on the West Coast. Interesting enough in terms of when you mentioned, hey, maybe this is a different time or maybe there's a crisis out there as we maybe even air quote that. The idea that I was a young financial services trading advisory was in that industry in 87 in October when the market's down 22% in that morning and just understood, wow, maybe this is the wrong time to be in this industry. But Again, I've got a little muscle memory from that. Different crises, no matter what they are, I think require a certain mindset. And if you've got that mindset, then that's when you and I had met. And I just kind of did my normal stuff that I've been doing since mid-March of saying, this is the readjustment I think we were all waiting for. And if you just simply take your age, minus 12, that's where you were the last readjustment in 08. But my financial advisory capacity, that's kind of morphed into the different venture capital. And again, I like to say failing forward. And you know, kind of fast forward to today. I guess because of that failing forward and because of some connections I made with some great thought leaders in the world, in particular, my mentor, John Maxwell, who's considered probably the world's foremost authority on leadership and growth, and some of the other people he put into my orbit, 
uh, seven years ago and I bought into some of John's intellectual property so I could go present messages on leadership and growth. And certainly by proxy, a lot of that with my financial background and venture capital, the ability to maybe understand risk a little bit differently or not. And again, kind of constantly failing forward that I've got to practice now a world leadership partner, which basically is a thinking partner for anyone that may be entrepreneur, solopreneur, in corporate, in philanthropy, very active in philanthropy. I've recently started my second foundation. I think we might touch on that later. Again, just a guy who's failing forward. I guess it's a message that I've got that a lot of people may or may not be hearing. But I do think at the end of the day, this readjustment allows us, no matter what we're working on or towards, to have a tremendous opportunity to grow, to scale, to start anything at this point in time. And yeah. we've got historical evidence there. And, you know, probably the John Maxwell quote that I like the best is change is inevitable. Growth is optional, which basically says, hey, it's up to you to figure out how you're going to respond to what's going on. Right. We can't manage and affect all change. Some things we can. But to be change agents, particularly as leaders in businesses and be change agents, you've got to kind of lead that charge. Right. I mean, you've got to be positive and help the team understand that there are new opportunities that probably weren't on the horizon before that you could be considering. And you talk about risk and failing forward, but a lot of that is very mitigated risk, right? We don't, nobody jumps into everything with both feet without thinking it through ahead of time. And we know in business, not everything we try works. Indeed. And thank goodness, because that's usually how we get to something that does work is kind of reminded of that quote and even our off-air commentary in aviation, some of my background and some of yours. The Wright brothers didn't have a pilot's license. And at some point you have to jump and build your wings on the way down. And again, just because I'm being poured into by some you know, great coaches and mentors and thinking partners myself, and I think that's what I'm bringing to my tribe particularly if we're speaking into what's happening in real time right now, not in the back in the good old days of February, but let's say mid-March forward, this is going to absolutely require a different level of thinking. And as leaders of organization, even ourselves, our families, our businesses, our philanthropies, if we're not willing to think into this as a much different level of thinking that's going to be required, then you know what? This is going to be the stumbling block and not the stepping stone that it will ultimately be for many of us. You know, and think about our own situations. This crisis, just like any crisis, really would have you go from comfort zone, which was where most of us reside, to creative zone. I mean, even thinking about the early days of the family situation or the office situation or where we're going to, you know, work our passions, you know, how are we physically going to do this? You know, back when Mr. Corona showed up for most of us around the world in late February, early March, the idea that, yes, it's taking you from a comfort zone to a creative zone, but maybe that isn't such a bad thing. Maybe back in the good old days of February, there's, you know, and again, when you're talking about the team, right? I mean, it's been said, if it's only at the top, you're not doing something right. You yeah. got to take the team with you. Yeah. And while I'm a big believer that absolutely you had to stabilize, whether that was family, business, anything you were, you had to stabilize this at the beginning. But if you weren't then taking the steps to mobilize, then you've probably failed miserably right now. And, yeah. and maybe there's no going back, right? Because again, my whole practice is built around mindset. Yeah. Whether it's this crisis or something else, it is all about the mindset and the mindset that says, hmm, as opposed to the way we've always done it. And yeah. I know we've got some examples coming, but, you know, the idea that there's some people who've absolutely pivoted here and they're having record years that they've ever had in the history of the organization. 
wow, isn't that interesting that they've taken this and that really is a stepping stone and a different thought process and how they've been successful. I mean, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I mean, maybe we're just simply at a birth canal of a new emerging future here. You know, a lot yeah. of this, I think, is structural change as well. But yet yeah. you have to be aware of that. Kind of go back a little bit to your experience as a Marine Corps pilot. Do you think veterans have any advantage from the training, the discipline they have, or the attitudes they've developed? Because one of the things I've learned is that, and I looked at the data from the Small Business Administration, and when they segment businesses different ways, veteran-owned businesses seem to consistently outperform other small businesses. Is that a perspective you'd agree with? And if it is, why do you think that? I mean, we can look at, talk about Fred Smith at FedEx too, another former Marine, right? But What's your perspective on just the discipline that veterans have sort of carry with them in the business? Yeah, no, thanks for bringing that up. Because again, I think it's very plausible many people today in in real life, so to speak, don't know a veteran, right? Once the, the uncle or the grandfather has passed, then they may not know a veteran. And certainly with the last 20 years here, with these younger men and women coming out of the military, in fact, I, I do think there's something to it. But again, I've, I've got a long history of our family. I mean, everybody back for 180 years or so through the Civil War has come out of military service and started something and probably started something again because the first thing may or may not have worked out. But the idea that inside the military, those men and women typically are the greatest leaders our society has, but sometimes they get missed coming out of the service because, and again, with our technology-driven society, check this box, check this box, there's no box to check for leadership. And that's sometimes a real shame, but until an employer, until someone actually is meeting with those men and women, and again, all the amount of money that Mr. and Mrs. Taxpayer has paid to train those folks at whatever service, whatever branch, whatever their profession was inside the military, the United States has gone to great expense to train those people, but also give them leadership qualities. And again, many times in the military, you'll show up, someone's leaving, you're taking over. And no matter what the rank is, no matter what the color of your skin, no matter your persuasion, no matter what, you're going to be asked to have someone else's back. And that doesn't matter about the color of a skin, about the, you yeah. know, who you are, what your beliefs are. If right. that person's got your back, and just by that particular position of leadership, when you're out in the real world and you're starting something, you're getting employed, and until employers, until folks actually meet that young man or woman or veteran of any era, but they'll say, you know what? There's something different about those cats. And I think it starts and ends also with persistence, with desire, with the fact that in the military, not everything is perfect on the plan because most things won't survive first contact, so to speak. So right. the idea that, hey, we're, we've got to be perfect before we launch. No, you know what? I'm confident in what we've put together. Let's launch and yeah. then adjust and yeah. then adjust. It was just talking to folks yesterday, you know, in terms of some things that you're bringing into the business world, AAR, after action review, which is a very common practice in the military, but not so much many times in the business world. But if you right. actually said, hey, why did that work or why didn't that work? And then sure. really kind of deconstruct it saying, hmm, we can get better next time. Yeah. Even applying that to win-loss analyses, Kyle, right? You know, I'm working with a business today. I'm their part-time chief marketing officer. And, you know, we're digging into their whole revenue management, every process that all the way from revenue management, you know, qualification, lead generation, 
all the way to sort of orders. And, you know, what we're finding is that we're just missing sort of information. You know, we don't know why we're winning deals and we don't know why we're losing deals. And I was always taught by a CEO to focus on the three things that you know cause you to win and make sure that you strengthen those as much as possible and then go figure out where your gaps are. And, you know, when you talk about an after action review, immediately made me think about a win-loss analysis, right? Not to know why this deal happened or didn't happen is a lack of key intelligence to sort of our insights in terms of helping shape your business going forward. I think that's spot on, but you can also tie that into real time thinking of those teams and of yourself. Speaking into this the other day, when was, and maybe it would happen again, but over the course of, let's say the last six to nine months, when, if ever again, would you have an opportunity as an individual or a team to really sit and think into current and future possibilities because of pandemic, because of crisis? It may or may never happen again, but if we haven't used that time, good news is you start where you are, but the idea that, yes, if you can actually take a look at every one of these processes, I'm a Marine, you got to speak slow. I'm very thankful that I can outsource a lot of the compliance, the accounting, the legal, yeah, all that stuff. Yeah. How do people think and what do you think into? And again, I just think very people do think. I've got mm-hmm. a coach that regularly says, hey, before you ask someone what they think, make sure they do. Make sure no. they do. Yeah, but in and of itself, I think bringing people together, again, whether that's now Zoom, again, coming from comfort zone to creative zone, whether it's the Zoom, whether it's the audio, whether it's in-person meet, being able to say, you know what, I think going forward, this will take a next level thinking. And until we really want to make that commitment, until we have that intentionality, right? I mean, to me, everything starts with the intention. If you don't have the intention, nothing will happen. Yeah. If you start taking that intention, and then when you're speaking even into say, the veteran community, the idea behind persistence, the idea behind having a desire, having a faith in what you're working on, and having confidence in yourself and your team. To me, that's where most things blow up on most folks and most teams is because they're going to listen to someone's criticism. And to yeah. me, that fear of that someone else's criticism, you know, the same coach also says, hey, somebody else's opinion of you and your business is none of your business. Which is true. You have to have the confidence in yourself. And again, be one of those voices, particularly now, that maybe say, whoa, whoa, this is not the time to grow. We're going to kind of bring things back. Hmm. You know what? Maybe in that particular situation, we should be looking at other companies that are saying that we'll roll them up under our entity. And boom, we go from X to 100X. And we really just bought this at a deep discount during a readjustment. Yeah. You know, as you talk about will, intention, attitude, behavior. I just flash back to a book I read in graduate school when I was working on a degree in counseling psychology that was called The Act of Will. And, you know, the first time I read it, it was like, I was just struck by it, right? But the author kind of talked about how will, attitude, and behavior can influence each other, right? I think we would say, when you say intention and will, it's kind of like, hey, you know, we are going to thrive on the back end of this crisis, right? There's no doubt about it. We're not going out of business. You know, we're not going to sort of coast and see what happens. You know, we will thrive. The attitude is positive. You engage people. You know, they know you've got their backs. They know that everybody is kind of in this together. And the behavior change that comes out of that is really quite positive, isn't it? Well, I think it is, 100%. But again, how did you get there? You got there with a mindset that was maybe not exactly the way the crowd is thinking, right? I mean, following the crowd is great, know where the parade is. 
but I think as we continually strive to be better and to continue to move forward, the idea that, you know, even when Jim Collins wrote that content on from good to great, oh, there's a lot of good out there. How many people are willing to take the time and intentionality and meld all that together and really be great? But that also requires that you go a little bit left or right of center. And I think even more so when you put all of that into the oven and bake this up into what's now considered the healthcare crisis, the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Right. That's fine. And I don't mean to demean that. But yeah. yet in and of itself, if you really want to stay in that place of the fear-based mindset versus that growth-based mindset, which is going to be required, right? You talked about that psychology, and I know some of your background, but the growth-based being creative versus the fear being reactive. If you're continuing to be reactive in these times, I just don't know if there's any hope. But the teams that are really sitting there and saying, you know what, let's look at it this way. And I know we have not done this before, but you know what, it's taking a different level of thinking here. And also understanding, hey, if you're authentic as a leader, and I think John says that very well in terms of the crisis, if you will, you can't motivate through crisis, but you can lead through crisis. And I think that's what I would appreciate it even from some of our so-called leaders around the world in that if they just would be a bit authentic, hey, I don't know it all. I don't have all the answers. Right. But here's what we believe to be the best course is now, as opposed to saying, no, I'm telling you what to do. Don't preach to me. We're all big boys and girls. But again, have authenticity. And I think that's what I love about small teams and entrepreneurs. And so as everybody fails forward, sure. But again, having authenticity within your group to understand Hey, that law of modeling, mm-hmm. if our leaders, if our teammates are having that growth-based and that idea of that mindset, it's pretty hard not to have that growth-based mindset, even yeah. as you may considerably have some sort of fear to it. But sure. at some point, somebody's got to go forward. Somebody's yeah. got to move forward. This interaction of will, intention, attitude, behavior, the mindset, I mean, very powerful connections. I wonder if you've got one or two case studies you'd be able to share where you've seen this powerful interaction of positivity and the mindset, the attitude that we're all in this together, we're all adults, you know, we can be authentic, transparent, where you've seen this really work well. Sure. And again, it's just kind of coming to me as well. I mean, a lot of people know one of my favorite pieces of content is Think and Grow Rich. Right? And rich can be in anything from capital to wellness, et cetera. But they've got a chapter in there about imagination. And I think that's such a rich area for all of us to at least see what we can uncover during these times. I believe the subtitle of that particular chapter is that the imagination is the workshop of the mind. And that man's only limitation is the use and development of imagination. And so when you do hear something that may have been done a little bit differently, maybe it's been a new thing. We were talking about specifically in veterans. And I know my friend Todd Connor, who actually just is now having a new book coming out, the third shift entrepreneur, but hey, a lot of people may have an entrepreneurship bug, but they may be also working, having cash flow in a position. And so they're doing their nights and their weekends and everywhere else that they're putting into that. But Todd actually came up with something that had not been done before, but very, very impactful for veteran entrepreneurs. And this was just about six years ago. And I just happened to be lucky enough to be on his email distribution list and was one of the few people that showed up the first time he just said, wanted to bounce some things off some thinking partners and said, hey, you know, I got out of the Navy a number of years ago, young guy. He was going to business school and he was looking at that. And he said, you know what, I'm seeing that the percentage of veterans that actually start a business is two, three percent. And, you know, again, World War II, even into Vietnam and Korea, where my dad and his four brothers are veterans. That had always been about 
40 to 60% of veterans had come out, whether they started a restaurant, plumbing contractor, these days maybe a software. He says, what do you think? He says, well, I think it's because we just don't have connection. We don't have a network. We come out mm-hmm. of the military, particularly over the last 20 years here. And yet, well, how do you do this? Well, again, it's always been by mantra, you can't email a handshake. And the connection part is where most people will try now to use so much technology, but at the end of the day, it's about the relationship and about that handshake, if you will. So he mm-hmm. simply put together a meetup and had, whether they were employers, whether they were entrepreneurs themselves, whether they're veterans, just brought people together. Hey, they probably had some Miller Lights and Diet Cokes, but just the idea of connecting people to that. And now you fast forward six years, some corporate people saw that and said, you know what, this would be a worthy endeavor initiative for us. And I think, you know, JP Morgan was one of the first people to put some capital behind it. And now there's mm-hmm. 30 different chapters, if you will, around yeah. the country that have a meetup for veterans, particularly looking to start a business or just being part of that group. You know, talk about using imagination that how do you go from nothing that's even been out there for veterans and as opposed to, hey, kind of the victim mindset that is many times out there with, I'm sorry, you had to be in a combat situation, post-traumatic stress, as opposed to, no, no, we're on the other side of that coin. We know that veterans have, as you mentioned, that not necessarily positivity, but they're always looking forward, irregardless of the situation. And they've got that different level of gene and persistence and desire and faith and organized planning, and they're willing to move forward. And so suddenly to see that blossom over six years, and I think they're just getting started. The bunker labs. Yeah. And, you know, I think we talk a lot about veterans because it's your experience. And I see the leadership that my dad had as a World War II veteran, right? But not everybody starts in the military, and yet a lot of these sort of characteristics, capabilities, these can be learned, right? And people can develop their executive skill set. Oh, a thousand percent. Absolutely, Mark. And again, I think that's a misnomer. Well, you know, I wasn't a born leader. But you know what? There also has to be on the part of someone the intentionality to say, you know what? I'm going to invest in myself. I'm going to show up. I'm going to be that person that's seeking out. Yeah. Mentorship. Yeah. Be open to it. Be a teachable spirit. The idea that, well, you know what? I I just can't go. No, no. All about the mindset and and having the ability to say, I'm going to invest in myself. And I continue to see people say, well, that's a pretty expensive program to go to that seminar, to be on that podcast, to go do something inexpensive. But at the end of the day, you get what you pay for. You want to be around successful people that are going to up level your own awareness. Yeah. You're more than likely going to have to invest in that time, talent, and treasure. You know, John's got a program that costs $10,000 to go to an hour lunch. Oh, my gosh. Well, guess who you're sitting around? Guess where that level of networking goes? Completely higher than what you might have experienced. Again, use some of these tools that we've all got now. I think LinkedIn in one specific point is the greatest thing since white slice bread. My gosh, you can have a network on there and see mm-hmm. and have a meeting before a meeting and understand where these connections are. And again, that's been a very big thing during this whole lockdown and crisis. If you couldn't go out to your networking meetings, your new business development, you had to go deep on where you had. Well, yeah. you know, I'm very blessed to have 16,000 plus connections on a LinkedIn network. Remind anybody, hey, jump in my LinkedIn network and feel free to data mine it. But the idea is that you're actually able to go deep on that network or anything else, but having the intentionality and being able to invest in yourself, I find no greater investment. I kind of think about this in terms of whether someone views themselves as a lifelong learner, right? I remember in a grade graduate school, one of the professors called me a sponge. And then thank goodness she elaborated, right? But 
you know, what's the point she was trying to make is, you know, whatever I know, I always want to absorb more. And, you know, that was a great compliment, I thought, from somebody. I put a high value on learning. But, you know, I also remember in corporate settings as a marketing executive, a chief marketing officer, you know, when you saw people that had potential to improve, you know, my approach to them would always be to say is, look, the minute you are interested in your own career development, I'm here to help you. I'm here to assist you in every way I can. But I don't go first because it is your career after all, right? A lot of people took me up on that. And a lot of people sort of got that model and demonstrated the initiative to move forward. That's so critical is that, you know what? At some point, the action piece has to be a primer. It has to happen. Now, there is that quote out there, and I think it does come from John Maxwell. You know, the idea that action is what converts human dreams into significance. If we're all out there working on or towards all of these phenomenal entities, companies, philanthropies, families, it won't mean anything until you have an action piece. You must go out and seek that way. You mm -hmm. must take action because all the great plans and everything else, it will mean nothing until you take action. And again, most people reside in this comfort zone. And I'm telling you to get out and go to more of the creative zone. You only know you're growing if it's uncomfortable. We know that. Right, <laughs> if you're right. uncomfortable, chances are you are growing irregardless of where the setting is. You know, Kyle, we talked about sort of a real-time example that you're working on. Is Would you share a little bit about that? I want to make sure that we have a few minutes left to kind of do a good summary of all the things we've talked about. But you've got kind of a new venture that sounds interesting where you're applying some of this thinking and your initiatives. Well, yeah, I do. And I think it's important to always have something that you're working on or towards. And again, we've only got that 168 hours this week, as we all know. If you're going to put something new on the plate, something's going to have to come off the plate. And again, just as an entrepreneur and somebody who continues to fail forward, if I see something, I'd like to think into it. It was a couple of years ago, being a veteran, I had the experience of understanding the VA, the Veterans Administration, the backbone for veterans of any era. While they may be the healthcare of last resort or the first resort for a number of folks, the idea is there's no dental option in the VA. Huh, wasn't that interesting? That was just a couple of years ago. And I, you know, again, I keep a physical book and I digitize it later and I just write some ideas down so when it comes into my awareness, I can put it down. And I kind of revisited that maybe a couple of months later. So let me do a little bit more research. Let me understand why is there no dental care option for veterans? which was fine 25 years ago when I got out of the military and it was $40 to mm -hmm. get your teeth cleaned and x-rayed, but yeah. now at over $250 and it might be you and it's about, so again, just in having conversation with some of the young men and women, these great leaders, the next leadership of our country, these people coming out of the military and getting into corporate and getting into positions, you know, that is the next level of leadership. But yeah. many of them had a spouse, had themselves, but they were putting off dental care. Huh? because there was no VA option. Well, you know what? Being an enterprising guy and trying to go deep in my networks on anything, and again, being someone of an abundance mindset versus scarcity, well, if I give this referral to this person, maybe I won't. No, no, no. If you've got an abundance mindset, everything will take care of itself. So making a couple of calls, you know, a friend of mine, a philanthropist but in her own right, her family had started the world's largest dental supply company. Her father was a Marine, her brother was a Navy pilot. So I figured, well, let me bounce this idea off of her, right? The idea of thinking partners on anything we're working on or towards. Sure enough, that kind of formulated itself. And before you knew it, in short order, we had something put together called Objective Veterans File, which is simply a financial fund for veterans dental care, because there is no option from the government. And quite frankly, in over the last seven to eight months, when we've printed $7 trillion in new debt, 
there wasn't a dime for the VA, much less Veterans Dental. So the idea that this is still an issue is a big one, whether it's the dental school program that will stand up, or maybe there's a dentist practice in your town if they'd love to open their doors for cleaning and x-ray for veterans of any year. But as professional services, it's very expensive to do that yeah. days, given pricing. So if yeah. they say, hey, we'll open our doors for two days, do cleaning and x-rays for veterans of any era, it'll be 27500 Give us the bill at OVS, Objective Veterans yeah. Mile, and we'll pay for it. So yeah. we're just now, we had a kind of a self-imposed pause of the last five months, given that it's a newer 501c3 charitable. So kind of put the capital campaign on pause, and here we are, start at Q4. Let's go, and we're out there now. And a passion of mine is that we're going to put people in harm's way, but not bring them back and clean their teeth. I just find that unacceptable. Well, and you know what I think we're going to do? I think in the resources to today's program, we're going to put a link in there. If people want to participate, that would be, it sounds like a really worthy cause. You know, but it's just a great example, I think, of seeing the need, you know, not waiting for everybody else to kind of jump in, but saying, you know what, we can do something about this. Looking for partners, you know, being assertive, being planful, but taking action, right? Not just sort of spending a year trying to figure out, well, what kind of a plan should we write and whatever, but getting enough of it to feel comfortable moving forward. If you follow passions and you follow that, you don't need the roadmap. You'll figure that out. You know, we've covered so much rich ground, Kyle. Is any kind of final words of advice, guidance, anything you'd like to kind of reinforce in today's show? Well, yeah, no, I've really appreciated it. And again, even as I'm here, things have come into my own awareness, which is what I think is more important for most people. But again, I think as we talk about it, you can have all of these great ideas, but again, until the action piece is there and bringing the team with you. In fact, I'll leave us with this quote, because quite frankly, when I left for the Marines a thousand years ago, I actually found this quote somewhere. Somehow it came into my awareness. I put it in my pocket and I've had it there ever since. And it says very simply, and I think this is a lesson for all of us, if we really want to move things forward. On the plains of hesitation, bleached the bones of countless millions who sat down to wait and waiting died. And I'm here to tell you, I just don't think we have the luxury of time or a negative thought. And that's why I'm so passionate about putting initiatives forward and open to network and collaboration because you know, it's called the present for a reason. And I try to use every ounce of that. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Well, you know what, Kyle, this has been great. I mean, this, as I anticipated it would be high energy, powerful discussion. And we're going to give the listeners your contact information if they want to pursue a conversation with you. The best way to do that is to have them find you on LinkedIn, is it not? Yeah, I think that's a win-win for all of us. Again, I've got a very robust network on LinkedIn with almost 17,000 connections. I hear the average person has two, 300. That's fine. But I've just been very intentional with getting that connection base. So again, mm -hmm. Kyle Arneson, A-R-N-E-S-O-N. You'll see my smiling mug up there and a little bit on the profile. But then we can start a discussion there and, and make a connection. And you can look at my network and see who we've got in mutual connections. And I think people win every time they make a connection on one of those social media networks. Again, as, as leverage as opposed to, hey, that's the only way to go out and make new relationships. But I think it's a great leverage tool. Kyle Arneson on LinkedIn. Right. Kyle Arneson, World Leadership Partners. Kyle, thanks again for being with us. Hope everybody got something of value out of this show today and look forward to catching up with you next month. Mark Corona from Chief Outsiders and the Practical CMO.